Oh, wow. Is that Ron Swanson's office behind you? It sure is. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, I love that you're so playful with the backgrounds. You know, I I remember uh, when you took a screenshot of me and my background and then trolled me during a meeting. That was pretty spectacular. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Zoom backgrounds, I think they were like, obviously they were a fad, you know, when everyone, you know, was forced to use Zoom. But um, my joy for a good Zoom background has never faded. <laughs> my uh, my favorite was uh, my friend David at my old job, who uh, we still go for walks several times a week. Um, during the beginning of COVID is when Tiger King hit and he created oh, i've seen that one yeah yeah he created an entire background with the throne and everything and he came dressed as joe exotic to a meeting he even shaved his facial hair and that was a uh, really really like a big deal in the moment i think since then we've all cooled off on uh tiger king a bit but yeah those people are still crazy yeah <laughs> It's uh, like since then they've come back and like like double, triple dipped on this. Like, oh, here's the Doc Antle special. Like we didn't need this. We knew he was crazy and, and you know, and creepy yeah. with women and stuff. You know, I think my my favorite Tiger King in the wild moment was uh, I was getting like my tires replaced. And in the tire shop, there was this um, I don't know if it's like a cardboard cutout thing of it was obviously like a a tire advertisement and for whatever this brand was it it was like two stacked up tire tires and then a little like tiger cub like was like peeking out of them kind of very very cute and they like someone like taped up a speech bubble saying like she did it <laughs> <laughs> so it's just it's kind of like if you know you know <laughs> you know i didn't exp i i mean i knew we were going to get to tiger king and talk about that a lot even though it's stale by like three years at this point but i didn't yeah. expect us to get there immediately so immediately. so yeah. yeah i'm glad i'm glad we went here <laughs> This is honestly pretty representative of our work conversations anyway. Yeah, just just tangent after tangent after tangent. <laughs> so it's uh, it's cool to have you on the podcast. I'm trying to like get more people uh, that I work with more regularly and honestly get get some people that are still relatively newer to the community. Because when I started off the podcast, I was trying to do like a wide variety, right? Because at the time I wasn't a Tableau ambassador. I wasn't a Tableau visionary. And I wanted to have like a spectrum of people on that sort of was representative. And then as I sort of moved up the, through that progression, and a lot of my friends did too, a lot of the people that I had always planned on having on were now Tableau ambassadors and visionaries. And it just sort of became like a, I don't want this to become like a, I don't know, like a, not a hierarchy based thing, but you know, like where you have to have achieved a certain thing to be here. And, you know, you're a friend, I love working with you and you're a lot of fun. And I was like, I need to have Brittany on the show. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's interesting kind of how even like remotely you end up finding yourself in like cohorts of people that you hang out with online. <laughs> I mean, it just happens naturally. And, and yeah. even with stuff like uh, Teams, which we use at work, you know, whoever you talked with the most recently floats to the top. Floats unless, to the top. Yeah. unless you pin someone there. So they're always there. Your, your most recent interaction is going to bias your future interactions, which is also what all of us experience on Twitter. The algorithm delivers to you what you're interacting with the most already. So like, if I comment on your thing, I'm going to get more Britney. Yeah. For better or worse. <laughs> but it, it's I, I'm like vigilant, though, about um, always switching it to latest tweets first. Mm -hmm. I'm still surprised sometimes a few slip through that I miss, but um 
but yeah, I, I, I'm a fan. If, if all companies have the option to go back to just a straight timeline instead of, you know, whatever it is now. I've done that as well. I've, I've changed it to, to most recent. And even then, like once you start to, ex now I've uh, turned on extensions and stuff. So when I'm using Twitter okay. on my browser, I've got various extra things going on, uh, which I don't get that experience on my phone. But it's funny, like if you just experience straight, straight Twitter, every third thing on there is an ad. It's, it's so, so ad heavy at this yeah. point. And I mean, I guess that's their entire business model, right? Between serving up so many ads relentlessly. And then also, I mean, the, now they're trying to like sell Twitter blue for like $5 a month or something, you know, $5 a month to have, uh, you know, a slight pause between when you hit publish and uh, reality um, yeah. just doesn't seem worth it. And it's well with, with any product, if it's, if it's free, you're the product, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, no doubt. And it's just uh, to, to the point at which it becomes overt and aggressive at, at which people start to bulk a little bit and say, look, this is obnoxious now. <laughs> you know, what's you know, it's obnoxious with ads. Um, and this is a, a complete other tangent. So Hulu is one of those services that I have not deemed it worth my dollars to pay to remove the ads. But what drives me out of my mind is that anytime there's an ad on Hulu, the decibel level is like a million times whatever the show level is. And I looked this up because I knew that there was like a court case about this or something where the FCC said, hey, commercials, you can't do that anymore. So I was like, okay, they said you can't do this. Why is it still happening? Well, they sneakily get around it by um, it, your commercial volume has to be like an average the same volume as the content. So if you notice, the first like second or two of an ad from Hulu is silent. And then when the sound chimes in, it's super high. So they can get a, they can get their average sound, but still do like the blaring thing. And if you want to report this, you can't just report and say, hey, Hulu's ads are, are blowing out my ears. You have to submit a complaint for each commercial vendor. And it's just like, well, nobody's got the time for that. <laughs> yeah, that, that whole thing is set up to prevent you from the consumer from having a recourse, apparently. Yeah, and it just, it feels like they're trying to just like wear me down to, to pay more to remove the ads, but. I, I did that about a year ago, I bit the bullet. I looked at the yeah. price difference and I'm like, what does it cost me to remove the ads here? And mind you, I use Hulu primarily for watching what we do in shadows and always sunny in Philadelphia. So it's like, I think it, that's mostly what I think of Hulu as. So yeah. I'm paying for not a lot, uh, but with everything being in walled gardens now, like you have to do what you can to watch the stuff that you want to see. But it's interesting, like you talk about Hulu. Recently, Hulu uh, had a minor kerfuffle where I, I think some like left-wing media sources wanted to place some political ads. And Hulu is like, well, look, we're not going to sort of do political ads. We're going to avoid, you know, taking one side or the other. And there was like a boycott and they lost some sales. They said, okay, 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 we'll do it. So now you have to imagine there's probably going to be like right-wing boycotts and you're going to lose <laughs> like viewers on the other side. And I'm like, thank God I paid for like no commercials on this because it was bad enough watching terrestrial television and getting served with like campaign ads and stuff. It's yeah. the worst. And it's like now like you're just going to chase me everywhere. Like there's no real escape from this. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm I am glad to be paying for the commercial free tier where I don't have to watch like I don't even care whose political ads they are. Like I don't yeah. want to see them. 
just don't want to see any of it. <laughs> yeah, it's like this is a, that's what I'm here to escape you. Like this I'm, is I'm not going to make my I'm major decisions you. based on my streaming platforms ads. <laughs> Has anyone's mind ever been changed by a political ad either or is it just like yeah, that's something I agree with or nope, still don't agree with that. You know, it's I I, I don't think there's I mean, it's funny, though, like the history of political ads, like if you go back, I forget when it was, but it might have been like the 60s when they were showing like, oh, if you elect my opponent, it's like, like atomic bomb dropping and stuff. <laughs> like we talk about the state of political ads now. It's always been pretty intense, but yeah. it's just it's never been not obnoxious. Agreed. There's there's never really anything new. <laughs> no, no. It's like we just sort of blind ourselves to it. And think like, oh, man, things really suck now. It's like things have always kind of really sucked. I think uh, if you've ever heard the podcast Hardcore History uh, with Dan Carlin. Yes. Yeah. So he wrote a book not too long ago called like The World is Always About to End or something, something along those lines. And it's sort of a historical perspective on all these different flashpoints in history where the world could have ended but didn't. Yeah. I mean, you could either view this like super pessimistically and be like, well, we're always on the cusp of oblivion or like, hey, you know, stuff kind of works out most of the time. Like there were times when there were like uh, U.S. planes flying over the U.S. carrying like atomic bombs to transport them that accidentally dropped them. Oh, no. stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's stuff like that or like the book, The Hot Zone, which I read when I was in high school about Ebola in the U.S. and how it actually broke containment to the point where there was a passenger on an airplane who's like actually was like vomiting out like parts of themselves into an air sick bag. Oh, no. And we still didn't have an Ebola outbreak. Like it came that close. And it's like, oh, like it, it's a terrifying book. If you ever really want to scare yourself, like don't read Stephen King. Stephen King endorsed no. The Hot Zone. Like this is the scariest thing I've ever read. So read The Hot Zone and then freak out. Yeah, I just I just tend away to stay from that genre in general. <laughs> You're like, I, I don't need a, like apocalypse porn in my life. Like I don't no. need something that's pushing me to, uh, to yeah. fear, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. There's already, there's already enough, you know, doom and gloom in the news. I'm, that's fair. Typically, typically when I go for like, you know, podcasts, reading in general, I, I tend to just go for fiction. That's like not horror or scary too much. I'm okay with some suspense, you know, but yeah, like I want there to be some stakes, but generally I just, I just go for fiction. That's fair. I mean, I, I like uh, a good bio. Like Rob Lowe has written two crazy bios about himself. He has this one called Stories I Only Tell My Friends, where it's like a Paul Harvey thing, where it's like every story starts out, yeah, I met this guy and he was really cool. And that was Tom Cruise. And it's like every, <laughs> or my <laughs> uncle took me to this warehouse. They had these foam things laid on a table and it was Star Wars. You know, every <laughs> single story goes like, like, wow, what's it like to be Rob Lowe? You know, it's funny because for me, my intro to Rob Lowe was Parks and Rec. And so it was really funny when I went back and watched The West Wing to see him as a completely different character. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, he's one of those people that he's had a super long career. And, you know, he's either blessed by God or genetics or uh, just, you know, incredible diet and physique. He looks amazing well into his late 50s. And, uh, you know, he, he seemingly seems like a really nice person. Whether that's so. an act or not, I don't know. You know, <laughs> we'd like to hope so. I mean, he's had he's had some uh, issues in his past, but you know, I like to hope that people can grow and get better. You know. Yeah. So let me ask you this: um, You seem to have had 
with the exception of Kevin Florlich, who had the single greatest first Tableau conference ever, you seem <laughs> to have had the second greatest first Tableau conference ever when I was watching your social media feed uh, before. So what was it like uh, going to your first Tableau conference after having like already been really engaged with the community? Because I know for me, oh goodness, yeah, my first was before I realized the community was a thing. And I'm like, this was fun. You know, I did some stuff. And then my second was after I'd become engaged. And I was like, holy cow, this is amazing. Yeah, um, uh, I, obviously I looked like I was a kid in a candy shop, you know, the whole time. You really um, did. Which, which was pretty accurate to how I felt. <laughs> My, I started Tableau um, late, uh, mid to late 2019. Um, and at the time, you know, I, I wasn't able to get like a Tableau desktop license through work. And we had this kind of like internal viz challenge and I wanted to use custom shapes and you can't do that with WebEdit. Um, and so I was like, well, I'll, I guess I'll download Tableau Public. Um, and then that was just kind of the gateway. And then I don't even remember how I found Makeover Monday, but that was at the time, I think it was on Bright Talk still, and it was even Charlie were running it. And so I would tune into those on, um, I think it was Wednesdays when they did the biz reviews. And I, it was just so fun because you had, you know, some people logging in also like on the chat and those people all seemed really nice. And then I really appreciated the, the kind of like direct feedback from the Makeover Monday stuff because it was all, it wasn't all like you need to like become an expert in Tableau and then you'll make great stuff. It was all things like you've got three different fonts going on, maybe try two and look, if you make this change, if you, you know, take away this little color, if you add this little symbol here, all of a sudden your biz looks better. And I found that really compelling that all those little changes can make your work look great. And then people want to interact with stuff that like looks good and feels good to use. Um, so I wanted to see like, okay, well, if I do this at work, you know, what, what can happen? Um, and then yeah, so so 2020 obviously happened. We don't need to talk about that. But there was, you know, Tableau Conference was online. And that was actually really fun for me, um, participating in like the Slack that was on that, um, you know. So my entire experience with the Tableau community was online for like two years. And being able to crash virtual tugs all over the world, you know, depending on what time zone they were in. So, you know, getting to go to the data plus women tug in like Ireland <laughs> was great. Um, and so when it came time for conference, it was kind of like, oh, I'm, I'll get the chance to, to finally see in person all these people that I've been like hanging out with virtually um, and have made a big difference in my career. Um, so the, the fact that I was able to go to Tableau Conference was, you know, incredible because that's a non-zero amount of money. Um, but yeah, so it was just, I'm, I'm naturally an introvert. So I just kind of turned into an extrovert for like a week and then was useless the week after. But yeah, it was really great to, to run around, say hi to people, um, just kind of say thanks to some people that, that like made a big difference um for me whether they realized it or not you're welcome Brittany. <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> 
you Dr. Didn't have, Biz on the wall. <laughs> you didn't have to say it. It was unspoken. I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew what you meant. It's okay. <laughs> um, no, it was, and it was, I think the funnest part was, um, I don't know, it's tough because I think it can be really easy to, to put people on pedestals. Um, and what I found most valuable was seeing people that I really looked up to were just as excited to go to these different sessions to like learn something or to show support for their friend or, um, you know, debating like, well, should I go to this session or should I go to this one? Well, I don't know if I'll really get value out of this. And here I'm thinking, you know, some of these people, like I wrongly projected, like they know it all already. And so kind of seeing people not know it all, I think was great. Cause then it's like, wait a second, I can do this. It's not impossible. And I, I that that's what I, I like about Tableau in general is if the question is, can I do X, Y, Z? The answer is almost always technically yes. Sometimes there's a really annoying hack to make it work, but someone's probably figured it out and already written a blog post on how to do it. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, no one knows it all and you're never going to know it all. And no. there's a certain degree of comfort with, I mean, a degree of like maturity and understanding that and not freaking out about it. I'll tell you this, like becoming a Tableau visionary and stuff, um, didn't feel like a lot at the time. And I don't mean that to diminish it. It was more of my mentor telling me that he felt like I was at that level that meant the world to me. But yeah. um, more than anything, at times, it's funny. It feels like a scary burden in the sense that because at work, like, you know, we're like, hey, we've got four Tableau Vision and like, I'm the US one. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, if I screw up, and I'm the one that loses that. And it's like, oh, well, we have three now. It's like, oh, what happened to one? It's like, oh, you know, Zach was talking like a little too much crap and, you know, <laughs> got kicked off or, you know, who knows? So, yes, I mean, it's not even if you you reach a level where people consider that that, you know, stuff, you're you're never going to know everything. And there's definitely like when I first got it, there was a huge degree of uh, imposter complex that I, I yeah. struggle with in general. And more so than like, oh, God, like you made a mistake. Like I, I clearly I should not be on this list. So yeah, it's like just in general in life, understanding like it's always going to be a journey and you're always going to be learning more stuff. And uh, being comfortable with the idea that you're always going to be learning makes a big difference. And uh, just knowing that you're never going to stop. Yeah. So let me uh, let me pick your brain about some stuff, if you don't mind. Yeah, go for it. So I was I was thinking about talking about some of this in a solo episode, and I realized it might be better to have someone else to bounce some of my thoughts off of. So this is going to be all the stuff that gets me canceled. I don't mean that in like oh, a no. splash damage <laughs> way that's going to take you out. So don't worry about that. Oh, no, I think my connection's bad. <laughs> okay. So, you know, Adam Miko won the Gold Hoodie Award at uh, at uh, Salesforce Streamforce Conference last month, which was yeah. like a big, exciting event. But most of us in the data fam had no idea what the hell any of that meant. Like there sure. was there were all these text threads like, does this mean he's an MVP now? Like, did he just like, <laughs> you know, like we didn't know what this meant. And now people yeah. are sort of catching up and understanding it. But I think like for those of us that were involved in the Tableau community before Salesforce acquired it versus people that came on after, you know, sort of trying to understand what the relationship is with Salesforce, especially as we see Salesforce sort of take over more of the functionality of Tableau from the inside. So like now yeah. they sort of, you know, uh, the community stuff is sort of run at a more Salesforce level with Tableau teams under it, but you know, it's, it's, it's more spread out. 
And I think a lot of this comes down to the discomfort some of the data fam has with Salesforce comes on a couple fronts. And if you have any thoughts or anything, feel free to let me know. But mm-hmm. let me tell you what my thoughts are. And I, I guess maybe we should say for the listeners, I am one of those people that kind of had the opposite track of yeah. I learned Salesforce first and then Tableau. So my kind of, you know, my, my, my first, yeah, my first interaction with the powers that be was, I guess, Salesforce and then, and then Tableau, because I got frustrated with what Salesforce reports couldn't do. <laughs> when I was in IT, before I became a BI analyst, I actually had to support a 90% custom Salesforce deployment oh that had no documentation <laughs> and no database schemas. They had literally just taught me SQL and it's like, go support this. I'm like, well, what are the tables? We don't know. I'm like, how do they connect? Also don't know. And it's don't like, <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, I, I think whenever I, I hear Salesforce, like I do get some kind of visceral reaction from that. Yeah. But, I mean, that's not their fault. Like it's whoever. No, it's it, your, your implementation can really make or break your experience. So I think a lot of the data fam's reactions to stuff, and you know, sometimes you see these really strong responses online, come down to a couple things. Um, one of them was when Salesforce had first acquired Tableau in 2019 at the Tableau conference. Mark Benioff came to do like a sort of hey, like uh, you know, introducing myself to the data fam and everything. And at the time, uh, Adam Slipsky was the sales, I mean, the the CEO of Tableau, and he previously now he's going on to be like the CEO of uh, AWS and everything which is pretty cool, except for like that week when AWS went down, that had to have been yeah. like the worst. <laughs> but um, that that particular interaction, I know like put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths because it sort of got off on the wrong foot because like Mark kind of rolled in and he seemed like very laissez-faire about the whole thing. And also yeah. for any of us that were sitting on the first few rows, we could see the teleprompters <laughs> and he really ignored every single thing on the teleprompter. And you could tell it really put like Adam Slipsky on like his back foot. Like he had no idea how to respond to anything. Oh, no. And also there was, I know this is fairly innocent, but it sort of demonstrated like a, I don't quite get it. Because uh, when Mark uh, walked up and introduced himself, he says, I hear you all write the vizs. And you could almost hear a groan in the crowd because like, while we do call the things we make vizs, no one has ever written a viz. So it was one of those things where the semantics were just off enough. Yeah. People were like, oh no. <laughs> so I think like, it's it's almost like a bad first date. You know, it's yeah. like, this isn't necessarily indicative of the entire relationship, but it happened in such a way that I think a lot of people still judge the entire relationship based on that very first step forward into it. Yeah. I mean, to, to some extent, I think the majority of people probably don't care, but the folks that are posting about it and are vocal about it are people that, that care enough to do so. Um, By the way, you don't have to say, like, it, you're, no, you're not it's, in any trouble here. Like, no, I, no, no, no. I'm just, I've got complicated feelings on it. And I think like, a lot of people do. And I think that's what one of the reasons I wanted to say it, because I think yeah. a lot of this stuff is sort of unsaid. We might say it like privately, but yeah. I think like saying it publicly takes some of the power away from it. Well, so so my my thoughts are that I think some of this like perceived like animosity maybe between like Salesforce and Tableau, like I don't think it exists in a way that some people are maybe making it out to be like, I don't have anything personally against the Salesforce community. Like I just, 
right now I don't use Salesforce, so I don't really have a reason to engage. Um, if I'm I in a spot either. where I use Salesforce again, like then yeah, I think the I think Salesforce has an incredible learning platform. The trailheads, trailheads are cool. yeah. amazing. Um, but like there, you know, we've seen, you know, it's Iron Viz time again. Um, and we notice, you know, that that schedule keeps shifting. And, you know, we had TC22 was not long after TC21. So, you know, in that sense, I wasn't anticipating anything groundbreaking coming because they had to put on a full conference right after they had to put on a full conference. Oh, yeah. Um, and I also wasn't expecting anything major from Dreamforce because it's Dreamforce, it's not teleconference. Um, so I expected some things, you know, that would be, you know, integrating with Salesforce and um, personally, like, that's great because anything that makes Salesforce data easier to get into Tableau is that that saves so much time. Um, but it does mean that I feel like we've, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping for the best for tab, the next Tableau conference. Um, I know there was some like scheduling issues last year with having it at the same time as Alteryx, which like wasn't great. Um, so I'm really hoping that like this next year, you know, cause I know the Tableau team works really hard and there's a lot of great people, um, but whether they get the resources from Salesforce to, you know, put out the next great thing. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that, how that works and how the marketing cycles for that kind of thing works. Well, you're bringing up some other interesting points. And the reason I broached all this in the first place was because I'm probably going to be considered a sellout by some in the near future. And this is all by my own initiative. No one's telling me to do this and no one has even suggested it to me from Salesforce. But I've started talking to some Salesforce MVPs and after Adam's win, because I'm like, all these people seem cool. Like it's a different tech community. Oh, yeah. We're under mm -hmm. they're a different umbrella, and there's honestly not that much crossover right now. I mean, I don't have many people that are you know strong Tableau devs like us that actually integrate to Salesforce in any way because a lot of Tableau users aren't also Salesforce users. I mean, I'm sure right. there's definitely a cross section, but from the sort of people that we know the most, it's very small. So like I talked with Sharif the other day. We just had a call. You know, I could have done a podcast, but I'm like. I just like to talk to you and get to know you. And they all seem like very cool, passionate people. And I'm thinking about having a couple on the podcast just as a sort of crossover to get to know you. Um, and I mean, you know, there, there's there's going to be some people that this aggravates. And it's not because I'm trying to force anything on anybody. But I, I do see um, a positive benefit to not treating them like their other, you know, and I, the way I sort of see it is, you know, the Salesforce acquisition, a lot of it could have gone smoother. Um, and a lot of it could have gone better, but we also had a worldwide pandemic that for two years <laughs> screwed up every damn thing in the entire world. Yeah. So besides that first awkward date with Mark, and then the two years that proceeded where nothing seemed to go right and everything was awkward. Yeah, like I'm sure there were a lot of plans that didn't happen the way they were supposed to or the way they were intended. Um, but that doesn't mean that there isn't stuff to be gained from talking with these other folks. And also just by talking to Sharif, I realized, you know, they have Salesforce user group meetings and they don't know Tableau. Yeah. And like I, I showed Sharif Tableau, like he'd never seen it before. And he's like, this is amazing. He spent the rest of the day looking at it. And it's like, he's like, would you be cool with like talking at one of our meetings? I'm like, yeah, of course. Like. 
I mean, they don't know us and we don't know them. The way I've phrased this before is if you think of the Salesforce acquisition as your mom has remarried and his name is Gary. Oh, no. <laughs> He's got some interests that you don't quite get. Like, okay, yeah. within the Tableau community, we don't get the Salesforce mascots. We don't really get the whole like forest imagery. It just because it's not the way we've done things before. Our conferences have been more slick and people centric. And I mean, not that Salesforce conferences aren't people centric, it is people centric in the sense of they're making it about people, but like their imagery is like yeah. cartoony and stuff. And to well, us, like that for, throws us. For example, like when they had the, the biz games. Yeah. Um, my experience was I saw biz games. I, I know what they are just because I've read all the white papers, <laughs> but um, biz games team earth meant absolutely nothing to me. But then the day that they posted who would be competing, I was like, Oh wait, I know those people I want to watch because I want to see them. Um, so as soon as it shifted from, you know, kind of big, big corporate, whatever to, Hey, here's people that made me want to show up. Now it might be for some other people that they have the opposite experience. Maybe they see the list of names and you know, that, that list of names means nothing to them. But, and it definitely um, would on the Salesforce side. They don't know most of those people on the Tableau side. We know them. And that's one of the things they under the Salesforce umbrella, they own a lot of sub companies and these companies don't really interact with each other that much. And back to the, like the Gary example, it's like Gary has some kids of his own. And like, just because we don't necessarily understand Gary and, you know, maybe we thought things were way better with mom being single. Like, it doesn't mean Gary's kids aren't cool and we can't all be friends. And also, like, it doesn't mean, like, Gary isn't cool with us borrowing the keys to the convertible or using the lake house. I mean, I went and I spoke at the Salesforce Tower in New York. Like, they let us use the Ohana floor for a tug. And previously, when it was just Tableau on their own, we wouldn't have had, like, a location in New York. We'd have to go around begging and hopefully some business would put us up. But because Salesforce owns a lot of property everywhere, they're they're cool with doing that because they want their different communities to really thrive. And I mean, I'm not saying like I understand things or that I, uh, I'm i always super happy with everything. I mean, honestly, like the whole mascot and forest thing, like it, it, in my perception, it's the kind of thing you do when you're like, hey, look, we're, we're friendly. <laughs> and it's like it, that always sort of makes me suspicious, but it doesn't mean yeah. it's, it's nefarious. It just means like I don't get it. And like I'm in the same way that I don't want my picture taken with Mickey Mouse when my wife drags me to Disney World with the kids. <laughs> I'm just like, look, that's great that you love this. I, I really don't. Yeah, and I think it's important to separate the, the marketing from what like reality is. Because for me, this, this is my hot take. Um, data fam is not my favorite hashtag. <laughs> Um, and I, but I understand that some people love it. Um, and I think that's great. And I think same thing with the Salesforce mascot. Some people love it. I think that's great. It's not my cup of tea and that's fine. It's not going to change how I interact with the products. I'm really here because Tableau is a tool that I love. I it just like the Dixon Ticonderoga, which is my favorite number two pencil. Tableau <laughs> yeah. is, is, is the best <laughs> visualization software that I've ever used. I love doing it. I love making projects in it. And there's a community around it of other passionate people that also make really cool projects that I love to interact with. And I like to get to know them and I like to celebrate what they do. And that's yeah. that's my whole driving force. And, you know, I I don't want to sort of yuck someone else's yum if they were like really like Astro. Like, that's great. Like, I don't have a relationship with Astro and I really don't see myself ever having a relationship with Astro. <laughs> and that's not to 
flame Astro or me. Like, it's just like, look, not everything is for everyone. Yeah. So yeah, like that, this, this is, that's the story of me selling out. I, I'm going to be, ha- <laughs> I'm going to be having uh, some, some Salesforce people. And, and I'm going to start with people. Well, that what I think over. is, what I think is funny though, is that you consider that like selling out. Like I, I think a lot of this kind of debate on Twitter is just kind of like a non issue. It almost seems like people stirring up stuff just to stir up stuff. Well, I don't consider it selling out like myself because I've been trying to sell out my entire life and it's never really worked <laughs> out. Like, so if you speak it into the universe at all, at all. Yeah. Like I want to sell out, <laughs> give me money to do something I don't care about. No, it's uh, that that's never worked out for me. No, no one's thrown money at like ridiculous money at me to ever do anything that I wouldn't be doing anyway. I do everything I do because it's something I want to do. And like, that's why I do the Sunday comic sub show. Like, cause it's something I thought I think is interesting. It gets less listenership. I don't care. Like nobody has to listen. Like this is all voluntary. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I'm going to have some other folks on because I want to get to know other people. And I think, I think there's opportunity for us in crossing over because, you know, we've got a smaller community, but we're really passionate folks. And there's a larger community out there that doesn't know any of this stuff. And introducing ourselves to them in a way that's sort of friendly and crossing the aisle, you know, can really be a benefit for us, too. Well, and I think what's important is any any community can turn into a bubble or quite like really fast. <laughs> so I think it's just good to if, you, if you've got the capacity for it um, um, to participate in spaces that aren't necessarily like the same circle of tableau people you interact with on on twitter or linkedin or wherever people choose to hang out online um i I wholeheartedly agree with this one of my favorite like slack communities is um it's called locally optimistic um and it's a community of data people and uh, i stumbled on it from a blog and then they turn out they have a slack and it's a bunch of data people talking about you know the same problems that everyone's facing at whatever company they're at um, and there's a lot of really great discussions there. And I almost never talk about Tableau there, but it's really great to hear, um, you know, just how people are approaching problems. Like, how do I figure out this metric? How do I measure X, Y, and Z? I've got this organizational problem I'm dealing with. Um, how do I look for a good manager? You know, stuff like that. It's all the, all the soft stuff that like no tool is ever going to be able to solve. Right. <laughs> but are still just as, if not more important problems. Well, I'm going to take that back to, uh, we're going to join the idea of optimism, pessimism, as well as communities uh, and the end of the world. And I'm going to tell you about one of my favorite Twitter accounts, which is the Pessimists Archive. Oh, which wow. The Pessimists Archive is newspaper articles about all the things that's ruining the world across history. So uh, dime novels are making women less interested in men. Comic books are making children uh, communists. Like every, everything throughout history that's been ruining the world. It's, uh, it's all of these sort of moral panics over time. And going back to the idea that the world is always about to end. Um, we have always had these feelings as a people. Uh, everything is always getting worse. When in reality, if we go read like Hans Rosling or something, You'll find that, you know, the world is has constantly been getting better over time. Yes, there's always some terrible stuff happening. But in aggregate, uh, when you look at stuff, there's a lot that is going right, getting better. 
and moving towards a better place for more people. So I sort of like, I, I, I try to, you know, not be a Pollyanna, but look at stuff in <laughs> such a, such a way where it's, you know, stuff can get better. I mean, look, we're human, we're flawed. Uh, the, the world's got a lot of issues, but that doesn't mean that we can't each, you know, invest in doing something good. Yeah. So Brittany, before we wrap up today, is there anybody you want to shout out or promote or anything? Oh, goodness. Um, that's so broad. Can you help me narrow it down a little bit? <laughs> sure. Are there any community projects or anything that you want to, you know, give like, give like an attaboy to or say, hey, uh, check out this thing or. You know what? I, I would like to shout out the one community project that I talk about the most. I have never actually done it <laughs> is uh, Mark Bradborn's real world fake data. Um, the hashtag is hashtag RWFD. Um, I think it's a really great community project, but because it's a little more work oriented, I don't know that it gets the same participation as some of these, you know, this is the thing you're most passionate about thing. Um, real world fake data is great. And I think showcase is one of the best aspects of Tableau Public, which was like for me, like participating in community projects all of a sudden when something would come up at work, I'd be able to be like, oh, actually I've seen that before somewhere, or, oh, I tried doing that one week for like Makeover Monday. And I'm able to like do that thing faster because I've seen it before, or I'm able to find that blog post. Um, real world fake data, um, Tableau's got accelerators, which I've got a lot of feelings about. <laughs> um, and, there, there's been dashboards people have made on Tableau Public that I've been able to, to basically drop in my own data, rework a couple of calculations, and bam, with relatively low effort, I've got a great dashboard um, without having to build it from scratch or reinvent the wheel. Um, so I think you just volunteered for a show and share at work. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I, I only successfully did it like once. So I might be, you know, uh, hyping it up a little bit little bit more than necessary but um yeah real world fake data is great because it's taking stuff that you're even if you don't use the same data as as they do you'll probably see a chart type or a layout that might work with your own viz guidelines or if you don't have viz guidelines yet um a great place to, to look to get some inspiration from um and that's what i think the best part about Tableau is, is you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to start everything from scratch. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, and so, yeah, one of, one of these days I'll finally make over one of those accelerators, but. <laughs> well, look, we'll, we'll do it together. Let's do, let's do some real world, world fake data. And for those, those of you listening, give it a shot if you haven't before. Uh, thanks for coming on, Brittany. I, I yeah. really enjoyed it and I'll see you at work in like three minutes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'll talk to you later. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. 
Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3, and you can get more if you choose, or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one you won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.